You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. It's good to see you. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Matthew. We'll be studying Matthew chapter 25. Uh, Pastor Jason is on vacation this week. And so if you think about him uh, here in the next few days, I encourage you uh, to pray for your pastor, uh, that God would uh, give him a refreshing time of rest and uh, encourage him uh, in this week off. Uh, I don't know what your upbringing was like, uh, but during the summers, uh, there was no such thing as sleeping in in the Galvan home. While all of my friends during the summer uh, we're able to sleep past 10 a.m., 11 a.m., 12. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Were you those kids that got to sleep in, anybody? That was not the case in my home growing up. Uh, anytime between 7 and 8 in the morning, every summer, there's a little bitterness there, but every summer morning, uh, my father would come and he would wake us up. I said, mijo, it's time to get up. Uh, and so we would have breakfast as a family. And uh, before he would go to work, uh, he would say, Jonathan, come with me. And uh, we'd walk around the house. He's like, hey, I need you to just redo our whole garage. Um, it's dirty. I need you to reorganize it. Uh, hey, the car needs an oil change. Let's get that done today. And then we go outside. He's like, you see the shingles on the roof? Go ahead and get up there. Let's put some new shingles up there. I'm like, I'm like Dad, I'm 10 years old. All right. But that's how it was uh, every day in the summer. Uh, he wanted us to stay busy. And uh, so my sister, I have three older sisters. I'm the baby in my family. But Edna and I, we would normally the ones in the home. We'd kind of be riding our bikes throughout the day, playing around. But uh, when it was about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, we would look at each other and be like, Dad is coming home in a few hours. And we got to get to work. And so I'd be like, you wash the dishes, I'll mow the lawn. And we knew we had to get the job done because when my father would come home, uh, he would ask us, did you do what I asked you to do? And it was a very sobering thing for us. There was like a good, healthy fear growing up with that. It's like, dad asked us to do something and we need to listen. And the parable that we're looking at this morning is a very sobering word for us because we're going to be talking about the second coming of Christ, when Christ comes. Uh, the reality is this, every person in this room is going to stand before the Lord. And you will either meet the Lord in your death or you will meet the Lord at his second coming. And this passage, the first 13 verses of Matthew 25, is a parable that teaches us that the coming of Christ will happen unexpectedly and it will reveal true believers. Let me say that again. The second coming of Christ, it's going to happen unexpectedly and it will reveal true believers. That's the main theme of this passage. Uh, Jesus had been with his disciples on the Mount of Olives and a question was asked to him, and we see it in chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 3. And the question is this, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? 
The disciples are asking a basic question. Jesus, what do we need to be expecting when you arrive the second time? What should we be looking for? And the main theme in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, Jesus says it in verse 42 of chapter 24, Matthew. I have it there on the screen. He says this, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. In order for us to to understand this parable, it's important for us to understand what a wedding would be like in a small Jewish village during this time. There really be four steps for a wedding to occur. The first would be an engagement. Now in our culture, if a guy wants to marry a girl, what's the first thing that he does? What does he have to buy? A ring. He gets an engagement ring, right? You know, he gets on his knee, he probably says something to the effect of, you complete me kind of thing. And he says, I want to marry you. But that's, that's not how it would have worked in the Jewish times. Uh, the first thing in this engagement would really be a conversation between the fathers. And a deal would be made between the groom's family and the wife's family. And the fathers would discuss, maybe they would discuss a dowry. The second part of this wedding coming together would be a ceremony where the bridegroom and the bride would come together and they would make vows and commitments to one another. They would be betrothed to one another. But then the husband, the soon-to-be husband, would leave. And he would go and prepare a place for his new family. That's why you hear that language in John 14 when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, in my father's home, there are many rooms and I go to prepare a place for you. Remember that? That's that symbolism of a husband coming for his bride. And so there was this time of preparation where after they had committed themselves to one another, the bride's groom would go and he would either start building a home for his new wife, either attached to his father's home or maybe on their land. And that time could take maybe a year, however long it took for him to build something for his new family. And so the bride always had to be ready because as soon as he was done with the preparation of their new home, he would come and get his wife and that's when the wedding feast will begin. And there would be a huge celebration lasting maybe seven days. We need to understand those details to give us a better understanding of what's happening in this parable. We want to kind of place this story in that context. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 1. Here's what it says. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps And went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. 
But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would speak to your people this morning. Would you open the eyes of our hearts to see? Would you, would you encourage? Would you challenge? Would you convict us this morning by your word? Help me to speak clearly today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And his people said, This morning, I want to point out five truths that this parable teaches us about the return of Christ. These virgins, we could kind of see them as bridesmaids. They are uh, responsible for some kind of function within a wedding. It's what have they, the people hearing this at this time when Jesus tells this story, they would have known exactly where they fit in. But these bridesmaids, these virgins kind of have some kind of role to, to, during this wedding feast that's taking place. And the first truth that we learn about the return of Christ is that the return of Christ may delay. We see that in the parable. Look at what it says in verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. These young ladies are waiting knowing, hey, the bridegroom's going to come. But for some reason or another, he is delayed. They fall asleep. Man, the reality is this, man, no one knows when Christ is returning. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows. Speaking of his return, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. I grew up in a suburb of Dallas uh, called Garland. And uh, when I was in middle school, uh, there was a cult that decided to move into to Garland. And their prophet said uh, that they wanted to move to Garland because he said it's actually God land. And so his whole cult uh, started moving into this neighborhood right next to where the neighborhood where I lived. And he had a prophecy, this, this cult leader. And he said uh, that he was told that Jesus is coming back on a particular date that was in the near future. And so sure enough, that day came and all the news broadcasters were there. And I remember driving to school and there was traffic because, hey, apparently Jesus was coming back according to this prophet. And sure enough, Jesus did not come back. And he had a new prophecy that it was a later date. Uh, but nobody knows when he's coming. And the, the church, we've been waiting 2,000 years. And we're still waiting. Man, is, is Jesus coming back this year? Or is he coming back in your lifetime? I don't know, but according to this parable, Jesus tells us, hey, the bridegroom, it may delay. 
we must always be prepared. The second truth this parable teaches us is that the return of Christ, it will be sudden. Direct your attention to verse 6. Look at what he says. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to midnight. It was a time when you wouldn't expect it. When Christ return, it will be sudden. It will catch you by surprise. And Jesus, in chapter 24 of Matthew, he gives two pictures of this. He speaks about Noah, and I want us to read this together. Matthew uh, chapter 24, verses 37. Look at this illustration that Jesus gives about his return. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. What a frightening imagery Jesus is painting. In the days of Noah, Everybody was going about their days, living their lives as they pleased, not knowing that Noah was building an ark that God had commanded him because God was going to judge the entire earth and destroy the world because of sin. And there they were going about their day, and the day would come unexpectedly when they heard the thunder in the sky and the water began to come. And it came at a time that no one would expect. Jesus gives an illustration again in, in 24, Matthew 24, about a home being a thief breaking into a home. And look at what he says, Matthew 24, 43 through 44. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. If after the service, as, as you're walking to the car, somebody that you trust ran up to you and said, hey, I got some news for you. I just heard, you see those guys over there? Tonight about 2 a.m., they said they're going to break into your house. Now, all the men in the room, if, you, if somebody that you trust told you that, I got some good information that tonight around 2 a.m., somebody's going to break in your, guys in the room, what would y'all be doing? You'd be calling all your buddies up and be like, we're having a slumber party, boys. Bring whatever ammunition you have, bring your bats, your clubs, and y'all would all just be in the living room like giddy. Because you're like, this guy that's about to try to break in our home, he does not know what's on the other side, right? Well, that's just not how a burglary takes place. And Jesus is using this illustration, hey, when I return, it will be, you won't expect it. It will surprise you. You'll be living your life like normal. And then he'll return, it will be sudden. That's what this parable teaches us. The third truth, what this parable teaches us about Christ's return is that the return of Christ will reveal the heart. I want to spend the most of my time in this part 
Notice what happens. Let's start at verse 7. Direct your attention there. Verse 7 of chapter 25. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for for you, Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. We have two sets of people here, five that are wise, five that are foolish. They fall asleep and they hear the announcement, the bridegroom's coming. And so they wake each other up. Hey, it's time to wake up. But the five foolish were not prepared. They did not have the adequate oil for their torches, for their lamps. And so they go and they buy. The bridegroom comes, the wise join the feast. But these other five virgins, they're going to get the necessary oil they need for their lamps, for their torches. And by the time they come back to the wedding feast, the door is shut. And they begin knocking and pleading, let us in. And then the bridegroom, who is Jesus in the story, says these frightening words. Truly, I say to you. I do not know you. I want us to wrestle with this this morning. What are the common denominators between the wise virgins and the foolish virgins? Both the wise and the foolish virgins are waiting for the bridegroom. Both the wise and the foolish virgins know that there's a wedding feast about to happen. Both the five, both both sides of the virgins know there's a wedding happening and they have their lamps and yet to the foolish, the bridegroom says to them, I do not know you. See, this is a terrifying passage. And Jesus, throughout his his ministry, addresses this often. See, there is a visible church that we see in this room. We're here on Sundays. We all kind of look the same. And yet, in our churches, all over the world, as they're gathered, it is possible that there are some within the church that claim the title Christian that Jesus does not know. Growing up, I had a, a, one of my best friends. 
And I would say that what he looked like was a model Christian. I really, I really believe that. Man, he was at the Bible studies with me. I remember him there with his Bible. And he, he talked just like we talked. He, we had the same lingo. And he, we looked similar. And we went on the same mission trips. I remember serving with him. And we served in church together. But as I look at the last 15 years, at some of the decisions that he's made, he has, today, he has nothing to do with God or the church. Today, he is so far from God. And it, that confuses me. What, what was I seeing all these years growing up with him? And how is it so drastically different than it is today? See, the, the, what the foolish virgins, although they were a part of the same group and they, they looked similar, similar, it was just external. They had a kind of external religion. But their religion never transformed their hearts. Man, they, they, were, they were in the Bible studies and, and they, they looked, they were in the same group with the Christians. Yeah, internally, they had never really repented of their sins. Jesus had never become the Lord of their life. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. We have it on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is so serious. So I, I want to speak to, to, to two groups here this morning. Because see, I imagine that many of you are in this category of being born again. Man, there was a day, a time, man, where, where you, you repented of your sins. You, you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You believed in what he did to pay the price for your sins. And the last thing I want to do is, is create doubt in this person. Although, Paul says, hey, work out your faith with fear and trembling. See, even for this group of born-again Christians who their faith is sincere, a passage like this just causes us to be introspective. Just to ask ourselves some questions. But, but this other group over here that I would categorize as the, this foolish virgin, 
that man, maybe your, your faith is just a faith that is external. You know what to say. You know the lingo. You look the part, but yet Jesus isn't the Lord of your life. I, I want to talk to this person. Because I imagine that there's some of you here that maybe by God's grace, the Spirit is convicting, saying, could it be that you're this foolish person? That outwardly you look the part, but internally Christ is not the Lord of your life. And I want to give you some diagnostic questions if you're this person. What kind of questions should you be asking yourself to determine, am I a wise or am I a foolish The first question that I would ask you, and I would, if you were to consider the last year of your, your spiritual walk with the Lord, let's say even the last few years, would you say, do you have a growing love for the Lord? Consider it. If you were to think about your your spiritual walk over the last year, the last few years, would you say that, that, that it is true that you have a growing love for the Lord, to know Him? Because if you're here and you would say, Jonathan, the truth is, if I were to be honest with myself, I have zero affections for the Lord. And you would say, Jonathan, that's been true over time. Man, that would be a, a, a major red flag for you. Maybe because evidence of, of a true believer is, man, there are affections for the Lord. Now, don't, there are seasons in the true believer's life where your love is faint. And that is true. Gosh, I, I've been there many a time, seasons in my Christian life, where my love for the Lord is weak. But if you were to say, man, I don't think I've ever had much really love for, for God or desire to know him. Man, that could, that could be a sign you're, you're in this foolish group. Or a second question that I'll ask you, if you were to consider your spiritual walk over a year or two, do you have a growing hatred towards your sin? Now, what I'm not saying is true believers are perfect. That is not at all what I'm saying. Man, Christians sin every day. But the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin. And do you have a growing hatred toward your sin? Man, if you were to say, Jonathan, if I'm honest, I am completely indifferent towards my sin. See, that does not characterize somebody who has been born again. See, the return of Christ, it will reveal the heart. Number four, the return of Christ will be irreversible. Look at what he says in verse 10. 
And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins, the foolish virgins, they came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. The return of Christ, it will be irreversible. When he comes, it will be final. There will be many when Christ returns who for their entire lives, they had rejected God. They had rebelled against God. They said, I don't want to have anything to do with you, but there will be many who will see the Lord on that day and it will click. It will make sense. They will see our Savior, our King, in all his glory and all of his splendor. And they will say, I believe now. And at that day, it will be too late. The door will be shut. The door to salvation will be shut. They will be like these foolish virgins who have come saying, oh, Lord, we believe now. We want to believe now. Let us in now. And on that day at Christ's return, it will be too late. But man, there is such good news today is that the door of salvation is open to you. For the scriptures say that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Christ has done what you and I could not do. He lived a perfect life. He died the death that we deserved for our sins. And the scriptures say this, that if you will confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the good news for us today. It's a free gift available to all. There's some of you here that say, John, I, I am unsure if I'm saved. The scriptures say, repent and believe. Believe in what Jesus has done. He bore the wrath of God on the cross in your place. Believe. I love Romans chapter 5 verse 1. He says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Nothing that we could do to merit his favor, but simply clinging to the cross of Christ saying, Jesus, save me a sinner. The return of Christ, it will be irreversible, but it is open to you freely today to just believe in what Jesus has done. Church, lastly, the return of Christ demands preparedness. Look at verse 13 of Matthew 25. He says this, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The call for us is simple. The meaning of the parable is simple. Jesus is coming back. Our Lord is coming back. 
and we wouldn't be spiritually awake. There are so many things in our lives that just tend to make us spiritually numb and spiritually distracted. And a text like this just says, hey, our king is coming back. I'm a pastor's kid. And my, my father pastored the church where I grew up in and all throughout college, he was there. And I remember when, one afternoon in college, I called him, say, Pops, how you doing? We're just catching up over the phone and it's, it's a Tuesday. I said, what are you and mom, what are you and mom doing tonight? He says, ah, oh, we're, we're going to a community group tonight. We got some new believers at this part of town. We're, we're going to be with them. I said, oh, cool. Well, the same week, we happened to be talking on the phone again. I think it was Thursday. And uh, I said, hey, Pops, how are y'all doing? What, what are you and Mom up to today? And he said, oh, Mom and I, we're headed to a community group tonight. <laughs> and I said, I said, Dad, weren't you just at a community group on Tuesday night? Here you are going to another group on Thursday night. And I'll never forget how he responded to that question. But he just said, Jonathan... Jesus is coming back. What else would I be doing? I love that. Hey, church, Jesus is coming back. We want to be prepared. And man, if, if you're here and you would say, Jonathan, I, I think it's very possible when you listed those, those questions, I could be a, one of those foolish people. That maybe outwardly people would think that I'm a Christian, but I've actually never repented of my sins. And Jesus isn't the Lord of my life. And I would say today, let's change that. We want, we want to pray with you. We want to minister to you. We want to help you. If you have a community group leader here, find them. Or one of the pastors, I'll be here at the front. We'd love to talk with you so that you'd have assurance. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, what a heavy passage. God, but Lord, thank you for the reminder that you are coming again. And that should prompt a soberness in our hearts, in our lives. And Lord, Spirit, I pray that you would, you would minister among us, God. Lord, that your spirit would convict the lost or the deceived. That you would encourage your people, Lord. Would you, do, would you stir the affections of your people, Lord, to be eager for your return and that it would impact the way that we live, God. Would you help us, we pray. All this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.